0: And welcome to Backstage Pass, a spinoff of the Rock and Roll Survivors podcast, dedicated to those in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, and somewhere in between. I'm Kristen, and I'll be talking with music writers, podcasters, photographers, promoters, groupies, and so many others who love rock and roll. So here's your Backstage Pass. Let's get started. Well, I am so excited about the inaugural episode of Backstage Pass, which is an offshoot of the Rock and Roll Survivors podcast. And my very first guest is the extraordinary biographer of Yoko Ono, Madeline Beccaro. Welcome, Madeline, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, it's my pleasure to be able to speak about Yoko. Well, I just, for our listeners and to set the stage or the backstage here, You inspired this offshoot of the Rock and Roll Survivors podcast because of your history, love and passion for Yoko Ono, which has resulted in this extraordinary book, homage, love letter to this remarkable woman, Yoko Ono, who... On this very day, and normally on podcasts, you try not to name a date because it dates the episode. But part of the reason why you inspired me is you reached out to me and said, hey, it's Yoko's 91st birthday on February 18th. Are you interested in having a conversation? And so this will be dated very soon, but today is Sunday, February 18th. And again, it's our first episode because I wanted to wish Yoko Ono a happy birthday and to thank you, Madeline for giving her such a beautiful tribute in this book because she's been a huge influence on me as well. So I wanna tease these episodes out a little bit because I think she's worth it. I think your work as a writer is worth it. And I think it will hopefully allow people to rethink her place in this historic moment, not just with John Lennon, she's got an amazing life. But for episode one, I just I would like to hear you. I want to hear about how you, at the age of 10, which I want to talk about, discovered Yoko Ono and how this love began for her. So please. Well, at the age of 10, um, it was
1: 1968, and I'm an only child, so I really had not much to do, and I was lonely, and uh, my aunt had a Time magazine, and I was flipping through it, and I saw... A picture of Miss Yoko Ono in front of her film still from Bottoms in which she films uh, multitudes of Bottoms uh, in succession. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. It's like an adult who did something kooky because my parents were very serious and everybody around me was so serious. And I thought, well, this is really cute. And I loved the picture of her. She was adorable. And she kind of had a little mischievous smirk on her face. And I was like, oh, and I cut it out. And I still have the clipping. And mm-hmm. then uh, I was into the Beatles, of course, since I was six when they were on Ed Sullivan show. And I uh, went and got the White Album that year. And sure enough, I find out she's with John Lennon. I'm like, even better now. I can find out what this person is up to. And I kept track of everything she was doing ever since then.
0: Well, I want to tease out the fact that you were 10 and fell in love with her. I, too, am an only child. Uh And you said something on another interview, which I found really fascinating, that at the age of 10, you saw her naivete and it was welcoming to you and and believable to you. And I I want you to talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, everything she was doing is kind of childlike and... Innocent in a way, and I just saw the purity of her intent. I didn't see that she was trying to put anything over on anybody. Although some of her work, she calls it con art, although it's concept art, because she is kind of kind of jerking your chain in a way, and with her humor. But you know, certain things are just very, very pure of heart, and she's always presenting something
0: in a simple, simple way, but it has a profound meaning. Well, I think you just said something that I want to touch upon, which is. Khan art which is hilarious i mean she can put forth something that's simple and it can still be profound yes she's not dumb per se mm-hmm. she may understand the multitude. of course i shouldn't even say she she understands the multiple levels and layers of what she's doing to provoke to provoke and evoke a response
1: yes it's very zen also i mean these buddhist theories and philosophies and
0: sayings are very simple but they really are the key to life. So you're 10 years old, you start to follow Yoko Ono and then you find out she's with John Lennon. And just for an aside, it's part of the reason why I'm so excited to talk to you. You and I have a lot of connections here, but especially with the White Album because my father Roy Silver was a manager Annie owned Campbell Silver Cosby with Bill Cosby and Bruce Campbell. And they opened up Tetragrammaton Records and one of their first clients was John and Yoko and the Two Virgins album. I'm going to save all the spicy stuff for a future episode when we talk about this. But I, your take on it was really interesting in terms of how they were presented as Two Virgins. Again, we'll get to that. But you as okay, so now you're 10 or 11 and this is coming out White Album and now Two Virgins is coming out. How are you seeing her art changing now that she's with John?
1: Um, I see that she's now into film, which she wasn't prior. I mean, the avant-garde film. She made her little bottoms, and that was really all in films of her experiences and her exhibitions, but she really got into completely avant-garde film with him and the the weird music, you know, the that they made together on Two Virgins. And obviously they were John and Yoko, so they had carte blanche. Nobody said there's no hit here. They just put it out as it was and uh, with them naked on the cover. And that was another extension of the art. You know, she, she thought, well, you know, that's the physical. And now you're going to do here, the oral part of this. And then the fact that somebody put a Brown covering over the, the rapper, um, she thought that was another participatory, participatory aspect of her artwork that that you know, although it was being censored, that was just an addition to the artwork.
0: So that's how she viewed it. I love that. And again, we have a lot more to discuss on Two Virgins. But all of the collections that you have of her, you, you're collecting now. You, you for decades, you're collecting her music, her art, clippings, anything you can. And at a certain point, you have all of this artwork, but before we, or material, I should say, it's not even artwork, but before we even get there and you have this vast collection, tell us about your boyfriend, Frank, and how this book even came about. Okay. Well,
1: I had, as you said, I've been collecting and mostly magazine articles, because back then that's all I could really get. There was television. You know, I could see what they were doing, the bed-ins, and as they were manipulating the media. Um, but I have stacks and stacks of articles and luckily I, I ripped them all out of the magazines and kept them in chronological order. So I don't live like a hoarder with tons of magazines where I don't even know where anything is. I just, it was great, great reference. And anytime I was writing about uh, an album or a song or a concert review, some was for publication through my life and some wasn't. But I was always able to go back to that month and that date where she spoke about those topics and I could pull quotes um, when she was very rarely explaining her own meanings to these things and when the interview was just about her and just her solo album and not John where they were just always asking her about the Beatles. So I have these very rare, you know, clippings that where she's free to speak. And then I didn't even realize I had a book until my boyfriend gave me software and said, why don't you dump all your word documents into here and see what you have? And I jumped them in in these little folders and you could move them around and organize it. And I realized, oh my God, I have a 500 page book.
0: That's amazing. And I want to, I went to graduate school. So there's a lot of reading that you have to do, but your 500 plus, I think it's 550 plus book. Please, for the listeners out there, don't see it that way and feel intimidated because part of why I couldn't wait to talk to you and interview you and I wanna hear more about your writing as well, is that in this book, it really is a reference book. You really could pick this up and read it for the next 30 years. You have quotes, you have quotes of hers from Twitter, you have quotes from other people, you contextualize your chapters. So it's not just Yoko Ono, you have clippings, you have other people talking about what she went through or what how they saw her. So it is a cast of characters where you already know them. And I believe you said that in one of your interviews, which I loved. These are not new figures, but they're sure seen in a different light. And that's what I think is so captivating about this incredibly extensively well-researched book. It's just gorgeous. So tell me a little bit about your background as a writer before the Yoko Ono book, because you're, you're you're steeped in music.
1: Yeah, so before that, uh, when I was about... 18, 19, I was working at CMJ, which stands for College Media Journal, and it was one of the first um, trade publications that had college radio reporting their playlists. And they made college radio charts. And I was writing reviews and interviews and, you know, for them. And for about three years until my parents moved to Florida when I was 25. And I had to get a real job. I mean, writing doesn't, unless you're, you know, Truman Capote, you can't make a living. (laughs) So uh, that was that. But I always wanted to write. And I had these traditional jobs that I never liked. But every time I go home or go to a concert, I try to interview the person or I, you know, write for my own. And I started my blog a while ago. And it's all about, you know, my favorite albums and 50th anniversary perspectives on the albums. And, you know, it just accumulated and people are loving it. Fans love it. You know, I mean, they're just saying, oh, it makes me realize her you know, memories of, you know, bring back memories for who, those who were there. And for those who weren't, they're saying, I feel like I was there. It's amazing. You have such detail and insight. So that's why, you know, I wanted to get this out about her because I have more writing on her than everybody else. And um, that's that's how it evolved.
0: One of the things that I loved, again, in another interview where you said, that you only write about people that you're passionate about. And I so can relate to that because people have said to me, oh, you're good at marketing or you're good at writing or you're good at whatever it is. But I have to be passionate about the topic. Otherwise, it's torture. Oh, <laughs> too. And also it feels inauthentic. I feel like I'm just bullshitting the audience. And also, you know, the opposite side of that is that I'm not going to bash somebody if I don't like it. Because That's I can't. You said somebody might really love them. Why is it up to me to say I don't like it? Yeah, exactly. There's critics out there. There's enough critics. And then,
1: you know, every crazy band or every crazy artist has their fans. And if I'm not a fan, I don't understand it, obviously. So let the fan write about it. And I always prefer, you know, books or anything that's written by a fan, not the authorized biography that's researched to know and, you know, start day one, okay, I'm going to start writing about this 91-year-old person's life and, and find out where she was born and find out who, I just knew all this. I didn't need to research it. And I knew what was important to talk about. I didn't have to put it all in, you know the boring parts are going to, I mean, although her ancestry is really, really incredible and interesting. She descends from the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest families in Japan and her, her relatives are are very, very uh, integral figures. They're bankers, they're um, Nobel prize winners. It's incredible. And she, but she was bored by all of them and she just wanted to make her own life.
0: Well, I want to, start talking a little bit about your book, but before we do, as you're saying, you know, authorized biographer where it's boring and you know everything, you collected things of hers forever, you wrote on this, and then you reached out to her and became a pen pal. And I'm curious when that happened, how you how that happened, and what was the response from Yoko? It
1: happened when they moved into the Dakota and I had their address. So I wrote and she wrote back right away and I, I was writing about I love this song of yours and I love how it means this and that and it means this to me and and she could probably tell I was a kid but you know she would write back and she would go oh my god you, you got it right or send me little autograph pictures and little things you know and little by little, you know. I didn't really connect with her until after John was murdered. I didn't meet her until then because I never wanted to go to the Dakota and stand there for an autograph. Like these fans did. I just felt like that was kind of bothersome to them. And plus I was young. I didn't take the train to the city by myself yet. And I never did it. So I don't know. Then like later on, a friend of mine who did go there all the time, she said, you know, you love her so much. She really needs to meet you. And I didn't look at it that way. And I said, all right, I'll go with you because I'm not." So we went, and uh, I said, I'm going on her birthday, though, so she knows I'm not just a Beatle fan standing there. So we did that, and within five minutes, she came out of the park in a horse and carriage like Cinderella on a birthday ride. And we met, and she realized, you know, who I was when I showed her the birthday card and saw my name, and she just started saying, oh, my God, you have to come to this art exhibition next week. Um, She was showing John's artwork at the time, and then her own, and then to the concerts and backstage, and it just... was like that.
0: And how old were you then? Well, by then I was about mm, 21 or 22. That's incredible. I, when I was trying to do the chronology with you, I was wondering if you had met her after John had been murdered. So you knew her before, but you hadn't met her yet. You were just pen pals then. And so you now have this book that your boyfriend Frank helped you with this software. Mm -hmm. And she and her son, Sean Ono Lennon, completely gave you the green light on this. Well, they didn't know I was doing it because she's
1: not well, you know, she's kind of retired, retired now and not doing much. And I just started doing this because I kind of missed her in the public. And um I did it and I sent it to her. I sent a proof copy. And um months later, um they Sean we were too, through Twitter we were always messaging and he said, thank you for caring enough to be so meticulous. We love it. So that's how it, it's not official. It's not um, authorized by any means, but what's better than that?
0: Well, also, I, I feel like that would be counterintuitive to Yoko Ono, that it would be authorized. I feel the fact that she's she and Sean have given you their blessings. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So before we wrap up episode one, I do want to talk about the cover and the name of the book. It's called In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono which I love, but before I got your book and I only heard the title, I thought, and of course, so Beatle-centric, so that's why I'm so glad we're doing these interviews, I thought In Your Mind was a play off of In My Mind of the John Lennon song and the line In My Mind I've Loved You All. Oh, that's In My Life. Oh, In My Life, see? (laughs) (laughs) There you go, In My Life. So there you go. I was even wrong on that. Yes, you're right. So In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono, I love and I'm gonna read a little bit of it. It opens up with you including with her handwritten edition. It's the Yoko at Indica exhibition catalog, London, 1966. And it's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it because it sets the stage. So this is Yoko's words. Among my instruction paintings, my interest is mainly in quote, painting to construct in your head. In your head, for instance, it is possible for a straight line to exist, not as a segment of a curve, but as a straight line. Also, a line can be straight, curved, and something else at the same time. And she goes on to talk about this. And all the thoughts about a sunset can go on for days. You can eat up all the clouds in the sky. You can assemble a painting with a person in the North Pole over a phone, like playing chess. And she goes on about the lines. But then she ends with and this is where your title comes from. I think it is possible to see a chair as it is. But when you burn the chair, you suddenly realize that the chair in your mind did not burn or disappear. The world of construction seems to be the most tangible and therefore final. This made me nervous. I started to wonder if it were really so. And I, I mean, I get chills reading that because in a funny way, you know, this book is a book, but you could burn it and it's still in your mind. Right. And so there's a
1: couple of things about that, that little thing, that's a little graphic I inserted from her Indica gallery um, catalog, which is very rare. And it's um, only in the hardcover version of the book because I didn't get it until after. So yeah, that's in there. And she left out the three words in your mind and it jumped out at me. And I said, that's got to be the title of the book. So and not only that, it's because all of her work is conceptual. And the subtitle in The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono is because of her album, Approximately Infinite Universe.
0: It's it's wonderful. And the artwork is wonderful. I I do want to talk about the artwork more in depth in another episode. But tell us who the artist is.
1: The artist is Kat McInnes, She's from Australia and it had existed already. And Yoko loved it too. So um, when I was looking for a picture for the cover, I
0: said, that's gotta be it. I had one question before, again, we wrap up this episode. Did you ponder before finding this piece of artwork about using a visual of Yoko or her artwork on the cover?
1: I was, it was baffling to me. I didn't know what I was going to do because which picture do you use? Is it going to be from the 60s or from now? It wouldn't, you know, it's not going to
0: describe every era of her, but this picture, I think it just encapsulates her essence. I think so too. And for those who have not seen the cover yet, we will be promoting it on the podcast. And Madeline, tell us where your blog is so people can check it out there. So there's um, the book's website is
1: inyourmindbook.com. And then to buy the hardcover, and the soft softcover there too, but um, it's conceptualbooks.com. But for overseas, you're better off just going on Amazon for the shipping cost reasons, because I'm only shipping from America and it's it can be crazy. And then I have a music blog separate from all the Yoko stuff, and that's called um, madelinex.com. M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E, X is in X-Ray.com.
0: Love it. Well, on the next episode, I'm looking forward to taking a very deep dive into the history, background, childhood, very traumatic of Yoko Ono. And one of the lines that you said, and we will leave it at this, is she spent most of her life in survival mode. And I think that's really key to understanding Yoko. So I'll see you on the other side. Until then.